This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 195 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hello, Mr. Roberts. How are you doing today? Doing great. Welcome back to California. Oh, yes. Back here, living with George's parents, and we have an apartment. So let's, let's talk about it. Let's hear about your, uh, your situation. So when you first came back, the, the plan was you were, going, you, you were going to arrive, I guess you did arrive, on July 4th? Yeah. And then... The day after I was going to Actually, shoot. before that, we were, so we, were like, we got back on July 3rd. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was good. And so I, the plan was I was going to spend the f- morning of the 5th kind of showing you around, giving you a, a tour of Pasadena. Yeah. South Pass, so you could kind of get an idea of where you might want to live, because this was, this was your first choice, your top choice. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call from you. I don't know, what, was it the 5th? Or I don't know what it was, but you said... Our, our delivery guy is delivering our furniture today. Yeah. We got to find I've a had, place. <laughs> like five I've hours. had the best luck with, with these delivery guys. I mean, basically when we were in Savannah, we said the driver, we pushed everything into the truck and packed the truck up and the driver said, okay, um, I'm, I think that I'm going to get there around the 12th of July. Um, because obviously I'm, tra- I'm tra- traveling over the holidays and I'm going to take a bit of a break. So what does he do? He <laughs> he calls us up on the fifth. He says, "I'm in Los Angeles. Where shall I drop off the stuff?" So we're like, uh, "You said you were going to be here on the twelfth. We don't have an apartment. <laughs> We've got nowhere to live. <laughs> what the hell?" Um, so this time it's the exact opposite of of moving out. So in the move out, we had to we had no furniture for thirty days, and on the move in, we got the furniture six days early. That's still kind of unprofessional, right? I mean, they should have like a general estimate of when they're going to show up with your furniture and stick to it. I mean, to show up that much earlier than they said. I mean, what what do they expect people to do? Well, I've realized or I've I've noticed there is a difference between the moving company and the driver. And basically, the moving company can be as professional as they want. They at the end of the day, they're up to the driver's level of professionalism, right? So each driver is an independent contractor. I mean, this this company have have been very professional, and the driver was very good. I mean, basically, he worked very hard at at making sure there was n- nothing lost. I mean, there was nothing lost with the furniture. He took it all apart when we loaded it to to save space, and he put it back together perfectly. So he did everything right. He just did that one thing wrong. Just arrived yeah, early. Yeah, but that's kind of a big thing. I mean, w- what if you guys weren't even in LA? I mean, what if you had, say, taken an, a week or two to travel around or something? I mean, it just sort of happened that you guys got here super quick. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like saying an airline is great because, uh, you know, the food service was great and, you know, the seats were comfortable. But we arrived two days late or something. Or I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's I just have bad luck with moving companies. What can I say? Anyway, the good, I mean, the good thing is, is that we've used this A1 storage before in Glendale and um, they have this policy where they'll give you the first 30 days for free. And if you move out within 30 days, you don't pay them. So are you sure? Because a lot of those places have like a one year contract the first years, the first 30 days are free if uh, with a one year contract. No, no, absolutely positive. 
We've used them before and we've been in this scenario before. So they're, they're, they're really good. In fact, it, if there's any one company I would like to put on Yelp and give five stars, it's that A1 storage in Glendale. Like, they're very good. Well, that's cool. So I guess, anyway, you, you, you called me and said you needed a quick tour of Pasina. Right, yeah. And literally, as we're driving down. So, <laughs> so we, we were in uh, West Hollywood. Uh, basically, we went there because we know that in West Hollywood, you can kind of drive, drive the streets and there's lots of for rent signs and you can call up the number and get in the house and have a look at it. So we'd already looked at about three or four places. And then I said, okay, look, let's go to Pasadena and see if we can see anything there, just to have a look at a few apartments. And as we were coming to Pasadena, I thought, well, I'll just give Jason a call on the off chance that maybe he'll have a time to show us around as well. Because we were just coming up to look at the apartments. I called you and you were like, yeah, cool. Well, it was funny because normally I'm, you know, I, my, I'm pretty available. But as it turned out, Sandy had a dentist appointment, so I had exactly 40 minutes I had to be right. back at one thirty or something or, or something like that. And, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, well, first thing that surprised me is because you, 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 you had told me you guys were set on Pasadena and then you called me and said, yeah, we're looking around West Hollywood. I'm like, well, what happened to, what happened to best living in Pasadena? <laughs> you know, it was just <laughs> kind of funny. I like, I, you guys like change your mind like every 15 minutes. It's hard to, I know. hard to keep up. So anyway, I gave you the, 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 the 40 minute tour and uh, luckily the place that I showed you which is the Holly Street Village Apartments, which is where I first lived when I moved to Pasadena in 1994 for three yeah. years. And it's right on the edge of Old Town. It's really nice. And I know it wasn't exactly what you were looking for in that it wasn't like one of these small, quaint, little, like, you know, 10-unit apartments or something. Um, it's more of like a mega complex, but a really nice one. Um, so it's nice. You guys found a, a two-bedroom with a loft there? Yeah, it's going to be like resort living. It's, it's going to have a pool and a nice little gym. And it, as you say, it's like two minutes walk away and i i think i can walk to your place in what 10 minutes probably could if you were hurried probably yeah. it's like it's like a 15 minute stroll probably so maybe we're actually going to meet up and see each other for lunch every now and again yeah just make sure you call first <laughs> yeah and there's a good there's a good buffer zone between us as well so no problem yeah well anyway it'll be cool to have you in pasadena i'm sure we can uh you know, we can get together more often, do some stuff. But, you know, what we can also do is maybe start getting some kind of a texting meetup or Hacker News meetup or something. That Yeah, I'd love to do that. Get something going. Um, yeah. Would- so, so as we drove away, as, as we kind of finished the day and got our apartment, um, I called you up and said that. And you said you were on speaker and you were like, so look, you know, if you, if you need any help or anything else, just give me a shout, give me a call. Like if you need any any more tours around the area or where you want to go. So I hung up and Georgie said, you know, Justin, that's why Jason has a lot of friends. Cause he's, he's that guy. He's that guy who helps you out. Why don't you do that? <laughs> so, so, so I was like, yeah, maybe I should, but I just, I don't think I like people enough to do that. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we had this discussion. I was wondering, maybe I could just try and be a bit more like that. Do you think I could fake it till I make it? Do you think that's possible to actually fake that kind of thing? <laughs> fake, fake hearing about people. Yeah, <laughs> fake, <laughs> fake being a nice guy. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, you could probably fake fake anything if uh, if you want to. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to fake. So you don't normally do, you would normally do something like that? Well, a, a lot of my friends are like that. Um, I have a, a friend called Matt who's Italian, and he's just like that. You know, he has that 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 gene of just being really generous and saying you know come and stay at my place or I'll, you know i'll help you out whatever and i'm just i don't know it's not like i'm a scrooge or something but i don't i don't have that natural tendency to um to kind of 
be the, be the host in that kind of a way. I mean, I'm good at like being a host once a month, say, maybe if you come over for dinner, but, right. not, but not being that real kind of, I don't know, what would, what would you call it? I Just don't know. I mean, yeah. Nice guy. <laughs> well, I'm trying to figure out what it is. I mean, I do, I think I do go out of my way to help people a lot. You know, when people email me stuff or ask me questions, I tend to try and help them as much as I can. Or It increases your luck surface area, I think. You know, it's like that kind of maintaining of relationships and just being nicer and having the ability of networking. Yeah, it does. I mean, like just for instance, yesterday morning, there's a guy who moved into a unit and I had seen him once in the garage and we had had a you know, two minute chat just saying, hey, you're new here, you know, that kind of thing, you know, just saying hi. And uh, I saw him again and he had a little his daughter with him. I didn't know he had a daughter and I and my daughters were with me. I was just I don't remember what I was taking him somewhere. And I said, um, and I said, you know, we're going to I said, we're going to be at the pool later at three o'clock. Why don't you come and swim with us? You know, cause he, I think he just had his daughter for the weekend and he's like, Oh, thanks so much. And then we're down there. And then I was like, Hey, you know, we're going to take, we have these two other friends of these friends of ours, their kid, they were at a wedding. So they dropped off their kids with us for the afternoon. <laughs> so we had five. And I said, we're all, all in the pool together, you know, along with him and his daughter. And I said, you know, why don't you come and get ice cream with us? We're going to get ice cream down at Penguins. Why don't you come down and get ice cream? And then we're going to take a park for a couple hours. It'd be a lot of fun. And he's like, oh, wow, thanks a lot. Well, you know, it turns out he's like a startup entrepreneur himself, you know? <laughs> you see, I would never do that. And I, th- I, I think it's because, I wonder if it's a cultural thing as well. Like being brought up a Londoner, you know, you get on the tube and there's just like the main mode of transport. No one uses cars, right? And when you get on the tube, you dodge, you dodge people's stare. That's what you do. You look anywhere except for at people and create some kind of connection. And that's what all Londoners do. And that's what you're taught to do. I mean, I know there are gregarious people in London, but the general vibe is that. So if I was staying in an apartment block and I saw some guy walking past, I would just like dodge his look and just wouldn't try and engage and wouldn't try and create a connection. And if I did it, I'd feel really awkward doing it. So I'd kind of say it in a really awkward way that would make me seem like I was being strange and awkward. So, do you, do you, well, I mean, you don't just look at them, give a kind of a smile and nod, like, hey, just, just a little. But that just seems like, that seems, I don't know, like inappropriate. Really? Just, just, just a smile at somebody, just look them in the eye and smile. And well, like, to smile at another guy and give him a nod, it just seems weird. Not like I'm winking at him. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't quite know how to do it. There should be some kind of school where you can, you can be taught how to like, be with other bros bros <laughs> i don't know how to be the bros <laughs> well you know it's funny i well my mom was always like that and i get it from her at least she she did she never met anyone she didn't know like she would start joking with people in the line at the grocery store or joking with the person at the counter or if you're in the elevator she just is, starts talking to everybody and and she'll like you know touch your arm and be you know kind of like joking and being very very uh, familiar and so she would tend to have lots of friends and people really liked her. And I tend to, I'm not as extreme as she is, but I tend to be that way too. I'll tend to joke around with people in who I don't know. And that kind of loosens thing up, loosen thing, loosens things up. I always like joking around the elevator and there's someone there to see if I can make them laugh, even though I'm talking to somebody else and you can know, tell they're listening, <laughs> you know, and then you kind of look at them. It's a skill to have. Yeah. I, um, but you know what it is ultimately is I ultimately just like, I'm extroverted. I like people. I like to talk to people. I'm a yeah. people person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just like being around people. I'm like, you know, and I, I feel good. I like to help people and I like to, I feel good when I help them. And I, I like to see people, I like to see things go 
well for people that I like. And if I like talking to you and joking around with you, I want to help you out and make things, make sure things go well for you. I, I don't know. It's just sort of an, it's just sort of how I am. I don't, I'm not really trying to do anything. It's just sort of, I guess how I am, but you know, the thing I was thinking about the other day, cause I, I knew you were, I, I knew I would eventually tell you about this and that you would, it might be a, a, something to talk about was how, how within like one minute talking to Tony, the guy who moved into our complex. Yeah. How within a minute I found out that he was an, a fellow sort of tech entrepreneur. Right. That's awesome. And what I do and this, and this happens a lot where no matter where I am, if I'm at the park watching the kids or wherever, you know, you start talking to people, I just tend to ask people about themselves, you know? Yeah. And I mean, not immediately, I don't just don't give them the third degree, but I kind of ease into just talking about things and seeing how they respond. And then sometimes I'll, if I can ask them with in, a, in an easy way, in a comfortable way, I will. And then I'm, I'm like looking for like, um, like a foothold, like where, but don't they go, who are you? Like, why are you asking these questions? Like, get out of my face. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to like spend some alone time walking down this hallway. Why are you bugging me? No, no, I don't do that. I don't like, uh, no, it's, it's, it's usually like after you get into a conversation, right? Mm. And then once you get in a conversation and you're just talking relative to whatever it is that you have in common there, right? You know, both our kids are on the basketball team and we're basketball practicing or just watching them. Like, so, you know, you start talking about that and then eventually you start, you know, asking, so you, you, you around here, you live around here or where are you guys from or whatever. And then it just gets into conversations about that. But, but then when you, when you talk to people for a while, you get these sort of like touch points or these sort of like uh, points of commonality and like, you're trying to find it, like, where are we, what do we share in common? Like, what can we talk about? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and then when you do, so sometimes you do, sometimes talk to people and you're like, I got really nothing to come with this person. <laughs> this thing. Yeah. And it sort of dies. I mean, you could do like some small talk about stuff, but this sort of dies. But then eventually, but a lot of people, you'll find that you have a few things in common with them that can be interesting to talk about. And, you know, I'm just passing the time. You're out there at a park or something or, you know, kids practice or something and you got like an hour or two to kill. And it's just, it's much more fun to have a, you know, a, a conversation with somebody than it is just kind of stand around, you know? Hmm. So anyway, but it, it definitely has, has increased my luck service here. I've met a, a lot of people that way that have has led to various things. So, hmm. you know, and it's, but it's not, it's, I don't do it for that purpose. I don't like, hey, I'm going to talk to lots of people and build up my Rolodex so that when I need something, I can call and ask them. You know, it's just, I like to talk to people. I talk to people a lot. And then what ends up happening more often than not is somebody else, another friend of mine says, hey, I, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing to happen, happen or I want to meet someone who does this. And I'm like, oh, I, I know he should talk to. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's awesome. I mean, in some ways, it might be, must be nice to be someone like John Dvorak, who's known for being kind of grumpy and a curmudgeon. <laughs> and so, so everyone knows he's that way. So when they approach him, they kind of, they're, they're thinking, okay, he's going to be this grumpy curmudgeon guy. Right. Oh, you know, one thing that has worked out more than anything for me, it's helped me help other people, like, especially when it comes to finding jobs and stuff. Yeah. Like if somebody's looking for a job or they're looking to hire someone or they're looking for whatever, I'm, I, it seems to be like more often than not, I all know exactly who they should talk to, or at least I can get them a few leads. <laughs> Sandy's always like, you get everybody a job but yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get right. yourself a job. I'm <laughs> like, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> Whatever this superpower I have, it I can't use it for my own gain. <laughs> it can only help other people. Well, it'll it's, it'll come back to you, and it comes back to you via the Lux Surface Area. Yeah, it does. Well, speaking of Lux Surface Area, um, want you? Uh, do you want me to talk about? It or do you want to talk about the uh, the any food domain? Oh, I think um, you introduce uh, it. I've let, let's both let's both talk about it. But basically, a very kind John Humphrey um, 
emailed us and said that he had purchased the domain anyfoo with that's a n y f o o dot com and pointed it to anyfoo, which was nefu dot com. And that was something that we had totally been meaning to do because obviously everyone, when they hear anyfoo, if you don't spell it, they they think foo dot com. And so now they type it in and they get to nefu.com, which is the actual domain. So that's incredibly generous and just very, very helpful. Um, so, Jason, why don't you pick well, it up from there? Well, it wasn't like we were meaning to do it because it was gone, right? And so once something's gone and someone knows you need it, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg. Yeah. So it was like one of those things like you, you wish you had reserved it back when you had a chance maybe. Yeah. But then it's just gone. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember when I reserved any foo with the fu if that was when that was available if the foo was available i can't remember if i checked or not but not long after when you when you and i decided we were kind of going to take it seriously and trying to get something started i looked and it was taken and you know anytime you email somebody and say hey you know can i buy your domain they're like sure it's 10 grand you're just like yeah yeah you know it's just like it wasn't going to happen it was just like one of these things that you just kind of wish you had an opportunity to get and it just didn't happen and uh john was uh friendly enough I mean, nice enough to 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 uh, grab the main for us and just said, "Here, I got a present for you guys." You know, and uh, that was a really uh, really nice thing to do. And John's um, sort of like a domain expert. He has the um, I guess the uh, domain is uh, let me just double check. It's domainnoob.com. Domainnoob.com. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's actually written a lot of interesting stuff about reserving domains and getting domains and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's yeah. It, if you're if you're into that kind of stuff, or you're a startup and you're trying to figure out how to get a domain you might want or whatever, I mean, he's got a lot of good discussions on that and points to a lot of other interviews and things on the topic. And uh, one thing he one thing he said was that he was still looking for sort of a business model around domain name consulting. Yeah, and I was thinking like, what what are your ideas on that? Um, well, I haven't given it too much thought. Um. I mean, there's 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 a few things. One of them is, for example, there's there's these companies where you can pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars to come up with a brand name for your car, you know. Right. So that they'll invent the the car like Yaris or something like that. So I guess if you know if it's a creation aspect, that's one that's something that you could do is basically, as well as inventing the name, maybe they could search for names and they could kind of match it up. So match up the domain name with the brand and try and pull it through and create an entire package that way. I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. What do you, what have you got? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess you would kind of go to a domain expert, you know, when you wanted to start a company, you're trying to think of a domain and you either, and they could help you come up with one they could say, well, here's a list of, th- of domains that I think could work. And then here are some that could work really well, but they're going to cost you money. And then I can negotiate them for you if you want, which is really painful process. I mean, I've, I've, I've helped a couple people negotiate domains. I've sold a few myself. It's kind of an awkward, uncomfortable experience as all negotiations tend to be. And that's something that you, that you, that would create value. That would, that, that, that would, that definitely has value. If you can do that for somebody, you just get rid of that and you can, you move that from the plate and you take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think yeah, if you put your if if you kind of marketed yourself that way, just like a just like a, you're going to get your brand, like you said, a brand identity. Um, you know, you go to some kind of a designer and they create the identity, but they would kind of work. You might go to domain expert first, or they work together. You could actually have a you know 
team up almost with a, with a brand identity person. Because a lot of times yeah. <clears throat> you don't want to create the brand identity before you even know what kind of domain name you can get. And you don't want to get the domain name. You might not want to get the domain name until you're, you get some feedback from someone who specializes in brand identity. So, cause they might say, you know what, that that's just not going to work for X, Y, Z reasons of that identity. If you kind of, if you, if you had a, t- a duo, you know, they and and, and, the, and, the, and they could kind of work together and say, okay, here we got five options for it. Here's a domain we can get. Here are three domains that are free, and these are the kind of brands, you know, identities that we can create. And then here are another handful that cost varying amounts of money, and this is the kind of identities they could kind of present as a package. Yeah, so it's always going to be like the single syllable ones that are going to be pretty expensive, and then they're going to be the double syllable ones that are going to go down in price, but they 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 can still be pretty expensive. But then I guess if you've got someone like this working for you. Um, who could who could give you, I don't know, like five double syllable options, you know, a couple of single syllable options, and and because he he's into the market, he knows the market, he knows the places to search. Like an actual domain noob <laughs> isn't going to know how to search Sado or any of these other places. So yeah. that could work very nicely. There's a lot to it, um, and it's also just a knack for thinking up names and coming up with names. I mean, yeah, most people aren't very good at. It. Just like most people aren't very good at. I guess to be good at something means you're better at most people. Therefore, most people are not good at most things. <laughs> you know, it's like most people are not good at music. Most people are not. Oh, good. The, I was listening to an NPR. I was listening to NPR recently, and um, there was a, an interview, and it was about. Uh, it was what was it? It was this American Life. It was about um, auto cars, and one of the stories they had was this journalist. Basically, it was the story of Sterling Moss who basically drove across, uh, who set this incredible record of driving, I don't know, uh, basically all night driving 100 miles an hour for 12 hours or something like that in in a Mercedes, one of these vintage Mercedes. Anyway, so this reporter ended up um, meeting Sterling Moss and it was a a promotion for, for Mercedes. And in this promotion, the reporters would be able to get in the car with Sterling Moss and he would drive him around the track bring him up to 100 miles an hour. But when he met Sterling Moss, he was like, I think he was 85 or something. Uh, he was in a wheelchair. He was crippled. But anyway, he got into the car and the reporter got in the car and saw him drive. And he, even though he was crippled and <laughs> 85, he drove incredibly well. Like he just had every movement down perfectly. And he, the reporter just wondered, what, what must it be like to be so much better than everyone else on the planet that even when you're 85 and crippled, you're just one of the best in the world. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Yeah. And it's good to be the king. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that, so just go that, that the whole point of that story was just, you were saying, you know, when you're good at something, you can be really good at it. Yeah. And, but I think, I wonder if for John, it might be good to team up with a brand idea person that like together they would, offer a more powerful and compelling package than he would on his own. That right. might be my suggestion. Cause I, I think if you, cause if you go to a brand identity person and you're like, and you don't have a domain or you're not sure, they don't really know what to do until you have the domain, but it's just like, you just, it, I think it would just work better. That, that would be my suggestion for him. Cause he was kind of asking about w- what he thought. Um, so how much did he pay for it? $20. He got it for twenty bucks. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. Uh, oh, actually, I was going to have you guess, but yeah, I thought he probably had spent like a hundred or two hundred dollars. But, 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 but how? What, I mean, how, start from the beginning. Like, so it was just a regular registration, or was it some kind of uh, like auction registration? I mean, how did it work? Yeah, so I guess when these domains start to expire, 
that they kind of go on a list of expiring domains. And if you happen to be there and you can grab them, I think. Yeah. And uh, he, he grabbed one. And so there's this period like, you know, when you have a domain that's expiring and they're saying it's expiring in three days, expiring in one day, it's giving you your last chance. And then it kind of goes in this period where it's canceled, but it, or it's, it's expired, but it isn't canceled yet. It's sort of like you have this sort of um, period where you can renew it before someone else can grab it. And so that kind of alerts the public that this domain is, be, is going to become canceled and that uh, and is going to become available. And if you're there at the time, you can just grab it. I think that's what he did. He saw it and he just grabbed it for us. I see. So that there's, uh, yeah, like with, um, with GoDaddy and other services, you can basically say it, it, it will kind of keep on polling like once a day or something or once every couple of hours. And, wh- and when it hits that availability point, then it'll grab it for you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's it. So um, he's actually, he, he, what he say? He goes, um, I'll read what he said. He says, uh, as domains leave GoDaddy, they fall into auction and then close out. Auctions start at $12 and sometimes get bid up into the tens of thousands. If no one bids on the domain, they drop into the closeout zone where anyone can buy it. Over the course of a few days, domains fall from $11 to $5. If no, nobody buys it, it eventually drops back into the wild where the domain is free for anyone to register. I say buy because the current registrant can redeem the registration for any additional fee up until the domain, up until the domain would release. So even if you win an auction, you have to wait some days bef- before it moves into your account. And if the previous registrant decides to renew at the last second, you don't get the domain, you get a refund. Um, <laughs> so if all that sounds convoluted, I just want to add that it's a lot worse at the other registrants, many of whom cherry pick the dropping domains and keep them for themselves. So that's, that's what happened. So, uh, John, thank you again for your, uh, generosity. It was much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, it was great. It was kind of reminds me of, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we should give the name away, but we have a friend at, uh, Twitter who we know who at Twitter who helped us, you know, get a, a, a sort of dormant handle. The any food name was dormant. Yeah. He doesn't work at Twitter anymore. He doesn't? No. You sure? He, yeah, he works at Stripe now. Hmm. Well, I don't know if we should say his name out loud. Just <laughs> <laughs> let's just leave it there. But anyway, again, it was it was it's nice to know people and have some friends out there because it definitely. I mean, we wouldn't have had the any foo uh, Twitter handle. We wouldn't have had any foo f o o. Yeah, definitely helps a lot. So um, while we're on this subject of thanking people, I want to give a very big thank you to. Well, I'm going to say Mark. Uh, but it could be Cindy, because that's who the donation donation from. It was from Cindy and Mark. Cindy <laughs> so and I, don't, <laughs> I don't know who. So anyway, Cindy, Mark, thanks very much for sending that uh, twenty twenty dollar shout out. That's awesome. And um, and it, I would say your domain name, uh, but then that's going to be your full email address. And it's a very funny and rude domain name. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we haven't we we haven't um, we haven't talked much about the donation drive lately. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna ping you his. Um, All right, <laughs> just see that domain name. How that goes? Let's see, f that. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to say it. <laughs> I don't want to say it. You can say f that. I like <laughs> That's good. Okay. I like it. Okay. F that. F yeah. that dot com. F that. Um. So. Um. Yeah, we got okay, we so got I- we got to get the domains. Uh, with the, uh, sure, the donation drive going for what? Well, f- well, a couple things. First, we still haven't redone our website. We've been talking about it forever, right? Second of all, 
Um, I feel like we need to, uh, well, there's a few things we could do. We still, you know, one thing we could do now that you're back in, um, in Pasadena or you're yeah. in Pasadena is we could get, uh, professional photos taken, actually get kind of cool album art made. Okay. And actually get like a real, uh, you know, real design for a website and stuff. But you still got to tally up the donations. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. I've put that on my to-do list. Yeah. That's on, that's on your to-do list. Do that. <laughs> I've asked you about that for the last three months. <laughs> Jeez. So, oh, something else. Oh, go on. Something else I wanted to mention is that Martin Baker, um, they released their uh, first uh, iOS app, which is HappyScalesApp.com. I'm just going to ping you a link right here. Happy Scales app. Okay, what is Happy it? Scales app? And he says he says in his email, um, you think I should probably? I I bet you think I should be using Plugio to promote this, and I think I probably should. Any chance of a discount? <laughs> a so, discount. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good idea. So I created a discount. Um, so if you go to plug.io forward slash plans, there's a little place for you to enter in a code. And the code is iHeartTexing, and you'll get a 30% discount. And if you type in iHeartJason, um, actually, it's going to add 30% onto the cost. <laughs> Clever, I like that. That's good. That's good. <laughs> no, it, no it, it does not really going to add that onto the cost. But that, but the iHeart texting really will. It will uh, take thirty percent off the cost for any of those plans there. Awesome. So, um, you're creating. You you wanted me to take a look at your Plugio deck. So you're as as you mentioned in the last show. You're gonna you you're gonna attempt to raise angel funding for Plugio. Yes. And so you yes. and you you've used balsamic mockups to create a uh, a deck mockup. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I read through it, but honestly, I don't know I have a whole lot to say about decks. I don't have a lot of expertise on what makes a good deck or not. I mean, I've read okay. the same stuff everyone else has, which is, you know, you don't want to make them overly long. It's like, you know, 10 to 15 slides. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's always there's a lot of different opinions and best practices about how to create an awesome deck. But I've never done that. I've never gone on the whole, you know, uh, VC circuit you know, pitching. Well, this, I mean, it's, it's going through angel list, so it's not exactly the same as going through a VC circuit. Um, basically, the deck gets put on angel list and then investors can flick through the deck. So I've been thinking of it from that perspective so that it just basically says what it is. And as they're going through the deck online, they get a sense of what we're trying to say, what I'm trying to say. I mean, it looked reasonable from what I could tell. Um, I, I think you probably want to put it in front of people who've gone through that process and raised money. Yeah. I mean, anybody else is, you're just kind of, you're just wasting time because they're not going to really know. I mean, they're just going to tell you common sense things that they've read, you know? Okay. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you can get Gabriel Weinberg or people like him who we know who have raised money and, you know, who have been on, well, Gabe, Gabe's, I mean, he's a busy guy, so I mean, he may or may not have the time, but, you know, he's both raised money and invested. And, and well, let me put it to you this way. Did, did anything jump out and go, oh, that's ridiculous figures, that that doesn't make any sense, that... That just is way too ambitious or that's under ambitious or anything like that. No, not really. I mean, you know, I, I thought stuff was, you're mostly sizing up the market and you're, so your revenue by year projected hmm, 42,000 projected for 2012. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds reasonable. I mean, um, customer lifetime value. I didn't go through the numbers too much. Don't, don't say the, 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 the customer lifetime value, if that's okay. $7. Seven dollars. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I, I um. So I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks like you've got a good framework here, but you know, I really I'm just not the right person. This isn't something I've. Every time I've raised money, it's usually through an informal 
you know, discussion. And it's, I've been lucky in that way. I've just kind of had a short discussion and people are like, yeah, put money in and it just sort of works well, out. Well, that goes back to the whole being nice to people thing. Maybe if, maybe if I'd been nice to a few people, I could have an informal discussion. <laughs> just go and like, hey, let's go work out together and say, hey, so I'm raising money for this thing. What do you think? Yeah, cool. I'm in. How much? How about quarter million? All right, cool. We'll do it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's worked out in the past. So, but um, who knows? Maybe I just got lucky. Um, Should we get funding for any food? Well, if we. Um, if we got it, I think I think we need to do the same thing with the plug. You need to get it up over uh, the hump, up over the hump, right? You need, yeah. I think we'd have to get it to a point where we had some uh, a critical mass of experts and had a critical mass of um, of uh, users. We're making at least making a few grand a month. I think you're, if you if if you do it before you're making at least some something like a few grand a month. It's so premature, and it looks like you just can't execute, or you're or you're unable to execute on your own, which means that they're gonna not have as much faith in you, and it's gonna take a longer, more effort to get them to invest, and they're gonna invest at a probably worse valuation. If you get the thing, and you can, and you can, they can see that it's making money, and it's growing, and the concept works. You remove technology risk, market risk, and execution risk, then it's just a matter of putting more money into scaling it. So, I think that's. You know, I'm not against doing something like that, but only after we've gone through a few rounds with it. All right. Well, talking about that, how are we doing with any food? Where are we at? Well, actually, I got all the email crap. I'm going to say crap done. <laughs> all the right. Email. So I had, to, I had to redo the email system. And, I, you know, one of the things was really boring and annoying, but it was moving everything over to templates and HTML based. And the other part was... Um, moving the library over from Swift to SendGrid's library and then being able to do attachments the right way using uh, their library so that we can send a copy of the invoice. And then I found, then going through that process, I noticed uh, there, was a, there was a couple of bugs that happened that we weren't accounting for. So for instance, if you had a credit card and you went to, you had a, you had a credit card registered with us and then it had expired and then you tried to reserve a new session, it would just throw an exception and mm-hmm. end up in, no, in nowhere land. So I had to fix all that, and that sends you to a new page. It says, hey, your credit card is no longer valid. Please update your info, and then you can enter it, and then it bounces you back and through the, you know, the uh, you know, session request process. So mm-hmm. that's all done. So now I will, uh, I'm on the dashboard. So everything else is done. So hit that. I'm going to maybe spend a little time later this afternoon, and then uh, I'll work some on it tomorrow. So Okay, so I'll finally, the, the dashboard. So with once the dashboard is done, well, what do you need to do on the dashboard? Like, what, what specifically needs to be done? Well, I think that right now the dashboard, it kind of the way it worked before is that we had this sort of registration process where an expert would just go to a would go to some sort of registration link and they would hit it and they would and they would go and it would just be this sort of standalone wizard or you know and maybe it wasn't a wizard but at least you had like five sections you click on a section you could go and change it like your payout you know payout preference and mm-hmm. take you back to like a list of your five things and, you know, five sections and you could tell you, are you comp- and once you've completed enough of them, then it would say you can, can submit your profile for approval. Now, th- what has to change is, is it's more a little stylistic than anything, but it has to be integrated into the, the normal uh, user dashboard. So if you go up to the right and you have like your, your name and log out, that kind of stuff, it has like something as dashboard. So you can go to it at any time. Okay. Right, and then you can pop into it, and it'll, and it'll show you 
what you've done or what you haven't done if it's through that if you're in that stage. But once you're already approved, it's like it just you know shows you. Like, so is it more like that original dashboard that we'd mocked up that showed you the list of your sessions that gave you access to your profile that basically was the central hub? Yeah, of everything. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just some stylistic stuff. I don't think it's a really big deal, honestly. Okay. It's probably and how long? Probably, what what are, what are your thoughts? Probably, and it's probably like it's, it's probably in the six to ten hour range tops. Okay. You know, I mean, you and I might need to work on it a little bit together, just in terms of just hashing out, you know, user user uh, interface type of things. Like, what do we what basically how do we want it to look and work? Okay, sure. I don't I don't know, but uh, that's it. And then I think once that's done, I think we got enough that we can go on and uh, and really start recruiting experts and uh, and because that's what we need to do. We got to go on and just make a big push for experts. And then once we have more experts on, then we can make we can kind of at the same time start marketing a little bit. You know. Well, so what's the strategy? Is is the strategy to get those experts the same as before? Basically, we go out and hand pick people from different techs and then we contact them we email them we call them i think so it's just like inviting people to talk on the podcast i mean to interview on the podcast okay you go find out people who you think would be good who would be a good fit and send them an email and uh some percentage of them are going to be interested and some percentage aren't and then you just kind of keep going you try so we try and get like a hundred that way yeah you know i don't know somewhere between 100 and 300 i don't know i mean it, it, it at some point people will be contacting us but we 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 need to just like as I've talked about this in, in earlier episodes, we don't have to go too into it. We we want to keep the quality high, and we don't want to have a high proportion of people contacting us asking us to be experts, and it's a bad fit, and we have to keep turning people down and creating some ill will. Right. So we just want to be careful with that. I, I'd kind of rather make it a little more proactive on our from our from our perspective, so that we go out and we pick the people who we think are the right fit for this, because. Because then once you establish that, people can see, and if they're not the right foot, they can say, they go, oh, I see what they're getting at, right? Yeah. It's, it's, we're not saying you're not smart or you don't have a lot of experience or you're not really good at what you do. We're trying to find people who, when you look at their profile for a particular subject, there's no question that they, if they tell you to do X, you're going to do X, right? There's no like, oh, is this person really me the right advice do they really know best like <laughs> say yo this person is like there's no question i'm asking about jang you know django this guy gave the keynote at the django con okay <laughs> it's like if he says do x you do x yeah oh i mean you don't want some well hey you know i've done some django i did some python i've done you know, it's like well you know i'm sure you're really you're good you're a professional i'm sure you can charge a lot of money and you've done some fantastic work but that isn't the whole thing it's about getting it's about it's not just about knowing the right answer and being a, and, and knowing it right away, it's about giving the customer the confidence that when you tell them something, they can accept it and, and feel good about doing it. Yeah. Does that, sound, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So we'll just go for that. I mean, that's, just, that's my thesis, and I know I've been pushing it. So let's just go out and, and give it a shot. And if I'm wrong about something, if it isn't right, we can, we can adjust. But, you know, I don't think it'll be too hard to go out there and, and just shake the trees and get some more people on. And I don't know how hard it is. I don't know if it's going to be a grind to get the first 30 or 50 or it'll be pretty smooth sailing or what. But we'll just, you know, give it a shot. Okay. Awesome. <clears throat> so, but, you know, one thing I want to say about this is, and, and I, I think this is, um, you know, this is probably – you know, we're probably both a little bit of fault to it. I'm definitely going to accept my share of it, which is that we, we've, we've lost momentum on Prezo. I mean, not Prezo, mm-hmm. like you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm looking at my list of uh, topics. Any foo. <laughs> like when I talk to my kids, Izzy, I call me, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. what, you, know, yeah. you with the blonde hair. No, you, you, get over here. <laughs> um, so, 
yeah, so that we kind of lost we kind of lost momentum. I I think I got to I think a part of it I got caught up in just having a lot of work to do for Uber and then you decided to really focus hard on Plugio and the combination yep. of both of us feeling pulled in different directions. We weren't we weren't pushing each other on any Well, foot. we did get back into a, a, a little spurt of, uh, of focus and, and moving stuff out, but then that kind of fell through as well. Yeah, and, and see, here's the thing. I mean, I think as human beings, you're generally going to, I mean, we're all a little different how we work, but we tend to go in fits and spurts, right? You, you, you get excited about things, you make progress, and then sometimes you don't make as much progress. And it's just life, you know, especially when you're doing it on the side. Um, and I think once, when early on we were able to do it because we were just excited. It was a new project, right? Anytime you're in a new project, you're just really, really excited about it, right? Anything seems possible. And then when you start getting something done and getting out there, there's all this little bit of like, um, you, you know, we release something, you're like, oh no, is this really going to work? Mm-hmm. Did I just waste time on this or whatever? And you always have these kind of doubts. And the thing is that we did push very hard and, we, and, and, and it worked. But I think, I think it's just that just because of a lot of factors, we just stopped focus on it. But if we get, if we put focus on it to enough to, we start generating enough money that the money itself is meaningful, regardless of whether the tech is interesting or the fact that it's a new project, you know, the novelty of the, of being a new project is worn off. It's just the fact that this thing makes money every month. It's like for you, Plugio makes money. It, you know, and that is incentive to just push on it. Well, there's this whole other area. Um, that is so much bigger than I'd realized, which is the, it sounds so stupid to say, but just the marketing, like how much there is to do with marketing. It's just massive. And as solo, solopreneurs, a lot of us um, focus on the product and don't really think about the marketing. And that's, that was the case for me with Plugio. And now that I've gotten into it, I realize just how massive a job that is. Mm. And that's going to be a massive job for um, any foo as well. And it's actually kind of enjoyable. And it's especially enjoyable when you think about it. This is a problem that I've got to get licked, you know? And that's the way we're going to focus on that with Anyfu. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to really getting into working out how we're going to market it. And basically growth hack it is, is what it is. Growth hacking. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so anyway, we'll hopefully get some good work done this next week and uh, really get onto the, the uh, expert recruiting process. Yeah. So um, I got another subject to talk about. It's sort of related. Awesome. Did I tell you that um, uh, we're selling the Prezo code base? Oh yeah, you've mentioned you've mentioned um, that you were trying to sell it and that you were flirting with selling it, but you certainly haven't mentioned that it was actually a real thing it was really going to happen. Yeah. So about I'm trying to think. Man, it was about three or four years ago. Um, it was a three years ago. A company um, contacted me about licensing uh, the Prezo for their market there in the K, K through 12 education market. And they, they want to kind of, they wanted to use it as part of their platform and, and sort of customize it to work in a sort of an educational environment. And uh, I licensed them for, for, for not a lot of money. I mean, it was like three grand and they can use the code. And then also I was doing consulting work for them and Guyon was actually doing consulting work for them. They were, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be one of my, three or four primary clients for about a year and a half. So it was, so I didn't charge a lot because I needed consulting work, you know? Yeah. And I talked to my two partners in Adaptix, which is the company that uh, built Prezo. 
and they didn't really care. I mean, it was kind of dead. You know, I'd already been dead a year and a half, and I said, "Do you mind if I can I license them? They're they're willing to pay a few grand, and and uh, I don't think they wanted to make my life difficult. They knew I needed yeah. consulting work, so they're like, sure, whatever, man. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not like anything's happening with Prezo, and um, and so that's gone on for a while, and I, I haven't done any consulting work with them for a while because um, I was busy with a couple other big clients, and then and then Uber pretty much bought out my time, so I was completely out. And but Guyon has still been doing some consulting for them on and off. And uh, then they just came back to me and said, hey, we'd like to, uh, we'd like to buy it. That's awesome. So, um, <clears throat> and it was kind of funny trying to come up with a number because I'm like, well, they had bought this sort of perpetual license for their market for like three grand plus up to seven grand. There was an, I was up to 10 grand. There were 7,000 more that we could get from it if they made a certain amount of income. Like, and it was capped at 10. And so I wasn't looking that closely at it. I was like, well, I don't know if that'll happen or not. But uh, so when they said they they wanted to buy it, I was thinking, well, you know, they're probably not going to really want to pay a whole lot of money. Because because they've had it for so cheap. They have it cheap and they have kind of perpetual license anyway. Um, But I can't remember. There's some kind of renewal clause in it or whatever. And uh, maybe what... Exclusivity is pretty important, though, right? Actually owning the IP, genuinely owning the IP, is a pretty big deal. Yeah. So the thing is, is that they're raising money. They've they've they they've been successful. They've they've been successful in the space. They've they've made money. Um, they bought they built and sold a company, and then and and in this market, so they know the market, and they're you know very successful entrepreneurs. So it's not like a it's not like a real small fry operation. Yeah. And they're they had already raised money, but they're going in to raise another round. And so I think in terms of like, you know, from due diligence perspective, the investors would feel more comfortable if they owned their IP as opposed to licensing it, or at least some significant portion of it. Yeah. So it was kind of weird. And with some sense, you could tell that they needed another sense. You could see they could probably figure out a way how they don't really need to own it. And first, he he contacted me about license, renewing their license because it was perpetual, but then they had to renew it or something. And I said, you know what? Honestly, I said, William, I think we're going to just shut down Adaptix. I mean, this had been kind of a zombie LLC for the last three years, and it costs more to pay the LLCs and the and get and do the ta- get the taxes done at the end of the year than it does for a licensing fee we get. <laughs> so yeah. I think we're just going to shut it down. And I think he was like, well, you know, they need, they need some, I mean, a company that's not a, no longer in business. How can they have a contract with that company anymore? Okay. So um, we're licensing from a company that no longer exists. So I think they're like, well, we better just own this code. And uh, so he said, what if we just buy it from you? So I was like, well, all right, well, and I think, well, let me talk to my partners. And part of me was thinking, you know, they're not going to want to pay very much. And so I talked to um, Fez and, and, and Kaz, my uh, two partners, and I said, what do you think? And they're both kind of like, whatever. You know, one of them was just like, Kaz is like, well, it should be at least fifty dollars or $100,000. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think they're going to pay $100,000. I don't think they have that kind of money. And Fez, I think Fez was kind of like, you know, Fez is a, the wealthy guy, right? I mean, so he ain't very wealthy, so he doesn't need five or ten thousand dollars or something. It's just sort of just a. It's almost a, more of a pain in the ass, and it's worth worth it for him to deal with his accounting, adjusting yeah. accounting, right? But um, so we made a deal, and so the struck out initially. So I came back to him and I said, William, I, like, here's my perspective. My perspective is some money is better than no money. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, so I'm happy to, and I want to be fair to you because you guys have licensed it and you guys are really cool to work with. And, you know, I mean, they were, they were really, you know, um, William, the, the CEO is really nice guy. And, um, they're all very, um, very friendly, um, and, uh, easy to work with. So I said, how about, I said, you know, I said maybe 25,000 and that would maybe make Fez and Cos be okay with it. I said, because you understand that these guys put hundreds of thousands of dollars into Prezo and to get like five or $10,000 from it, they're just, it's just like, they'd rather get nothing. Right. Just yeah. from, purely from like, it's just embarrassing. It's just like painful. Like, I'm not going to sell it to you for that. It would just be, it would just, you could be annoying to them to know that they built this thing and someone had bought it for like a pennies on the dollar. Right. 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 Nobody have it. But I said, I don't know, maybe 25 and maybe they would just, you know, be all right with it. And he actually said, um, he said, we could do that. I said, that's fine. He said, we could do that. We could pay in cash by the end of the week, or we could uh, give you 17.5 right now and another 17.5 next year. Hmm. And I was like, and I talked to the, the you know, Fez and Kaz, and they're both like, yeah, let's do option two. Well, so what, some this year and some next year? Yeah, so we'll, we'll take 17.5. This year, you know, I guess we'll probably, you know, close the deal in a couple of days early next week, and then we'll get uh, the following 17.5 in 12 months. Why would you do that out of curiosity rather than get it all now? Well, they, they I think they're, they're still trying to close around, the so they'll have more money. And I think they're just, he just wants to spread out their expenses. And he's like, fine, I'll pay you the 25 or we'll pay you 35 if we can pay some now and some later. Oh, I see. So it's, it's, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't think it through. So you get more money by some now and some later. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it kind of works out. I mean, it's not a ton of money from them, from their perspective, and they get to own the platform. It's enough. It's just enough money, so it's like worth doing it. You know, if it was like for ten or fifteen thousand dollars total, I'd be like, "Ask yeah, I'm not going to deal with it." You know, I could deal. You know, because we wrote we we wrote off Prezo as a loss already, right? So now we have to go adjust our tax filings to say, "Okay, well, this thing we wrote off actually has value," and now we you know got, got oh that's going to be annoying as well yeah yeah you know so you got to re- revisit that yeah so it's a I mean, it's not a huge deal i don't think but it's, it's just it's annoying enough that you're not going to do it for like two thousand dollars or something you know um and uh you know plus i've paid out of my pocket for the last two or three years the uh the adaptix fees the llc and the accounting fees which came to a few grand so we yeah. get reimbursed for that so i get reimbursed for that and then i get my 42 percent of the sale oh fantastic well congratulations at least <laughs> congratulations <laughs> you can you know 42 percent of 17 and a half grand isn't too shabby plus an extra two grand i mean you could go on vacation you could take the whole family on vacation funny to think you know five years ago i almost almost sold to google for you know x millions <laughs> for thirty five thousand dollars God. Well, you know, you're just make, you're making best of a bad deal. I mean, this is what. Uh, what actually, I met you when you were calling up Jason Calacanis um, on Twist, talking about this week in uh, startups, asking him this very question: What should I do with with the Prezo code base? Yeah, he was just like, give it away and put an open source. But I didn't really want to do that because I was just going to yeah. be having to like answer people's questions and fix code for, you know, and I didn't have the time to do that. You know, I really well, have- now you have the answer. Now I have a little bit of money, right? I mean, I'll pull out, uh, I don't know, what I'll get out of I have to do the, do the haven't done the arithmetic, but uh, I don't know, was it maybe 15000 total, including being reimbursed or something in that ballpark? Over, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not bad. Better than that's great. <clears throat> so that's the latest with uh, Prezo. So that'll probably, hopefully, that'll close Monday or Tuesday. Um, well, congratulations, and, and I, I do mean congratulations. I know it's not a lot, but it's it's something, and it kind of it it also, apart from anything else, it puts a bookend bookend on the whole thing, which is great. <laughs> so you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's it's a done deal. That's true. That's true. So. Um, yeah, move on. I got a couple more topics if you... Uh... Yeah, sure. Well, you sent me a couple of interesting links uh, to have a look at, which I liked. Um, so do you want to go? Do you want to start going into those? I'm happy to bring them up if you want. You, you go ahead. Sure. Um, well, I thought that the really interesting one was about uh, the, the Forbes uh, thing about um, Sebastian Thrun basically creating Udacity.com, yeah. which, which is um, a very very commoditized university bringing down basically you'd be able to get a gradual a graduate degree for a hundred bucks well i think he's just i think i don't think a hundred dollars is a real number i think it's just pretend you know just just saying it'll be a f- just a very small fraction of what it would cost normally but well, even if it's a thousand bucks it's incredible yeah and i think i'm not sure but it, it might be pronounced udacity but maybe your udacity is right i think like university oh udacity right that would make sense yeah but i don't know maybe i'm wrong so I, I mean, I, I you know, apart from anything else, I went to have a look at udacity.com and looked at some of the courses that they obviously they've just got sample courses there. I think they've just got four courses, but the first course he has is uh, making decisions based on data, and he himself is teaching that. And it's just interesting the way that he puts it across. It kind of is a lot like how you were describing your institute for younger kids, in the sense that it's not just boring text it's actually real stuff that you get to see. Like he's, you know, he's there working with a Lego kit and kind of building graphs and showing you, <laughs> showing you information about that, which is kind of cool. So yeah, it's just, it's good. Yeah. I think, I mean, this idea of having this sort of, I guess they call it like a massively online learning um, like this, you know, to sort of disrupt uh, higher education. I mean, I think it could be done. So in- they're talking about like a hundred thousand people, doing doing classes at the same time so rather than a classroom full of 20 people you have a hundred thousand people log on and do it all at the same time yeah well so S- sebastian throne and peter norvig signed up and they were going to teach a stanford i think it was a graduate course in artificial intelligence yeah and i th- i think the story is that he, they became frustrated that they were only going to be able to you know teach 50 people or however many we're going to show up the course and so they just i don't think they even asked permission i think they just went up and just made it online you know and they said all right we'll, we'll put all this stuff online and anyone can sign up for it or whatever and they had like and after a certain amount of publicity like 160,000 people signed up for it wow believe that and then 23,000 people actually finished it and did and i think they they, they think for, i think if i remember correctly and this is from a different article that i read probably weeks ago they um the the people who on the online course did better on average than the people who took the course at Stanford. Now, when you finish it, what do you get? I mean, do you get a, like some kind of certificate or what? Well, actually, you don't, and the reason is that um, you know, because they they were they talked about this a little bit in the article that whoever the you know the person the dean or whatever that uh, I can't I'm not sure who, who she was, but she's the one who was sort of talking with Sebastian about this and like you know they can't offer Stanford can't offer certificates for this. I mean, there's a certain point where Stanford has to protect their value, right? I mean, so you know if you go to Stanford, what do you get? It's not just like you get 
you know, a, a great lectures in, you know, but you get a certificate saying, hey, I graduated from Stanford or I got this degree from Stanford or I took this course or whatever. So I think that there's a line that they're willing to, that they're going to draw in the sand. It's like, okay, well, just like the open courseware stuff that MIT's done and I don't know, was it EDX? I think that Harvard and maybe Harvard and MIT are doing together where they're willing to put a lot of these lectures online and even some of the lecture notes and problem sets, you know, you can, they're not willing to give you certain certificates because otherwise, you know, at some point it might start to erode the, their perceived value. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still, I mean, that's still a stretch, right? I mean, you know, what we're talking about now is just sort of dipping your, t- they're dipping their toes in the water, like what might be possible. But you can imagine 10 years down the road or something that if, if a company wanted to set up a really good website for, you know, setting like here, here are all the courses you need to take, you sign them online, and then you go to get um, a certificate from, the, from us, from Udacity or whatever, you go to a Sylvan Learning Center, one of these sort of proctored um, test-taking places they have in every, you know, in every town and city in the country, and you go and you just take it there. Right. Hmm. So you could get, if you want to get a graduate degree in CS or artificial intelligence or electrical engineering or whatever it is, you could probably do a lot of it. I mean, certain classes, certain types of things that they talked about in the article would be a little harder, like philosophy, which is really a lot about people talking back and forth or yeah. things that were heavily lab oriented, like biology. If, you know, you can't just do that at a computer. You have to actually go into a lab setting or chemistry. Maybe well, but even, I mean, but so is math something that would do well? Because don't, it isn't part of math having someone in front of you explaining that to you that really makes the difference? No, I mean, I, I think math, the way it's taught in college, completely sucks. I mean, it's, it's exactly what the problem is, is that, that they've talked about a little bit, is that you go there and you sit in class in, in a lecture, and then you get a problem set, and then you come back in, you hand the problem set in, and that gets handed to the grader, and that's it, and then you take show for the midterm and the final. It's just, it's just, and that's why I had a really hard time. I mean, I, I had a hard time getting myself to go to class in college because it was just that. It was like, well, I can just read it from the book. You're just going through the, the same damn proofs that are in the book. Why am I going to, sh- why am I going to get up at eight in the morning and go sit in this points of topology class when it's just, just page 47 through 53? <laughs> you know, I mean, I could read it. I'm not getting any value sitting in here. The only, um, so the only problem with doing that for my, is that when you, when you kind of stop going to class, you get a little disconnected and you kind of fall behind sometimes because you're not, mm. you know, when, when you go to class two or three times a week, at least you're forced to stay up to date, Right. Whereas, like, if you don't go to class a whole week ago, you're like, oh, man, I've got to do that problem set. Oh, man, I don't even... Well, so how, how will they keep up with the whole momentum issue on on a online course like this? I don't know. You know, I haven't... You know, I didn't take the course, but they said something about in the, in the article about how they would actually have people stop and do lessons like they would do a problem right there online or something like that. I don't know how they did it. I mean, maybe maybe one of our listeners have taken one of these courses, and but that's a great way of doing it. And and, I, and I've talked a little bit about that before. I think on the show when I was talking about how this math and science academy concept I had for for younger kids, yeah, which is that at MIT they changed how they were teaching courses. Um, back in, I think in about two thousand three or four, they started an experiment where rather than having, you know, all these kids these kids in these physics courses, you know, sit in a lecture hall of two or 300 people and then maybe go to a TA session once a week. Um, you know, we could go and you could, you know, have a TA sitting there where you could work. The way they would do it is you would go to like a two hour class and you would sit at a table, you know, tables of like eight other students and they would give a mini presentation of like five to 10 minutes. And then you would work through problems 
at the table with the other people sitting there and then TAs and the professor would be wandering in the room answering questions or whatever, doing things like that, making it mm. more of a interactive thing. So like, because a lot of times you sit there in class and they go through stuff and you don't really understand it and you don't realize how well you actually don't understand it until you try to do the problem set three days later and you're just like, I have no idea how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you're kind of screwed because you're sitting there, you know, inevitably you wait until like the night before and it's like nine o'clock at night and you're trying to get through it and you're just like, I don't, I'm not really sure how to do this and I got to hand this in tomorrow morning and, you know, there's no TA to get around and there's, you know, it's just, it's just, um, you know, it's just hard. I mean, people who are really disciplined, people who do a really good job with that are people who start doing the problem set like that day, right? And then, then they have problems, they go and, you know, they go see a TA or go and see it to go to office hours the next day and get some guidance on stuff. Um, but- well, Sebastian Thrun sounds like a pretty awesome guy. I mean, he's one of the founders of Google Labs and basically, uh, sorry, Google's Advanced Research X Lab. And he's behind the, yeah, I think he was... Uh, one of the main key guys in the in the Google uh, cars that drive themselves on the road. Yeah, I th- and the impression I got is that he was the key guy. I mean, he was he, yeah. it was sort of his brilliance. I mean, I'm sure he had some people helping him with it, but I think it was uh, it was Sebastian who really was it was his brainchild. And he, so he he'd like uh, was on the cover of Forbes in 2006, basically saying, right, self driving cars, we're going to do that. And um, they've had two two hundred thousand miles of road tests. Um, and Nevada now have basically approved those cars so they can, they can ride on the public roads. Yeah. You know, and I remember, I swear to God, it's to me, it seems like it was like three years ago when they were trying to do the, remember the DARPA was sponsoring this challenge was out in the desert, like Nevada or somewhere in California. And they were, and they were, yeah, yeah, for the car to drive itself across the desert. Yeah. Yeah. None of them did it. Like they all kind of like crashed or drove the road somewhere. And it was really, it was really kind of pathetic. It was really, it was really disappointing. And that just, to me, I mean, that must have been longer ago than that. Maybe that was like 2005. But it was amazing how quickly it went from this sort of pathetic, you know, floundering attempt by all these, you know, all these were top teams. They're teams from like NASA and MIT or whatever, right? I mean, all these high-powered teams and none of them could get their car to drive anywhere. And then like within a few years, all of a sudden Google gets 2,000 miles of test and it gets approved in Nevada and other places. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, but I think that it's obviously relying very heavily on Google Maps, the, the data that's in there. So there could be situations where it driving across a desert, for example, where it's not actually mapped out, but, you know, in the mapping system, where it probably wouldn't be able to do it. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, it's, 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 reasonable. it's a reasonable idea. Um, I think, um, but the Sebastian guy sounds like he's a, he's a real, he's, a, he's kind of a winner. <laughs> he's kind of like these Elon Musk type guys. Yeah. Um, he, he also like, I think he, 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 he got a full professorship at Stanford, like at an, at an extremely early age, like after four or five years of being a assistant professor or whatever. I mean, so he's, he's just a, one of these top notch people. So it, it'd be interesting to see what all he can do. So if he all of a sudden turns his sights on, you know, this Udacity thing, it's, it's kind of like when Elon Musk turns his sights on like electric cars or space, you know, space travel. It's like, uh-oh. it's probably going to happen. It's probably going to happen. You get people who are that smart and that driven and that ambitious. I don't know. I mean, you just you just don't want to bet against them. You probably want to just root for them. If you're a skeptic, you just be careful about how how loud you are with your skepticism because you're probably going to have egg on your face. Just like all the people who doubted, all the people out there who just were doubting Tesla, doubting SpaceX. They all look like jackasses now. 
you know, and there were a lot of them, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, you know, you can read these articles in like New York times and wall street journal. And they're like, Oh, this will never happen. And this and that, and here's 10 reasons why, you know, Tesla doesn't matter. And is a joke. And then all those people are just, you know, just idiots. I mean, it's like, I, I, I these people really should write retractions. They really <laughs> need to come and say, you know, I was wrong. He was right. Well, one, one fact- guy did one guy did the guy from New York times who basically his, his post was, um, well, you know what? I, I actually, said, I'll bet him anything he wants. You know, I bet him a million or whatever. And um, Elon Musk said, okay. But actually, uh, the, the guy that said, well, I can't really afford a million. Okay, a thousand. So they did a thousand dollar bet. And um, he also really, really said how ridiculous it was. But then in the New, New York Times post, um, he said, wow, that's, you know, I'm, I'm blown away. That's incredible. And I've paid my thousand. You know, I'm, I'm so happy and, and impressed that this has happened. See, that impresses me that he would do that. I, I really, you know, because I've done that. I've actually gone back to people and said, you know, I was wrong. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was, and I actually had to go to a guy, I apologize. It was a good friend of mine. It was like three or four years later. And uh, I remember back, it was like right when the Iraq war was starting. And I was all, I, blo- I bought all the propaganda, right? Yeah. And he was like, this is all complete, you know, BS. And they're, they're coming up with all these fake reasons. And, da, da, da. and I just told him he was crazy. And, you know, I said, don't, you know. You quit sending me this crap. And a few years later, I said, listen, Tom, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I, I was totally wrong. You're totally right. I apologize. <laughs> you know, I mean, we were taking a walk. I said, let's take a walk. I just got to tell you, you know, how, how, how bad I felt because, you know, I was wrong. You know, and you don't have that. It doesn't happen too often. You don't have people yeah. come up to you and just say, you're, you know, you're right. But I, I, I thought it was really cool that this journalist did that. And, um, and, uh, I don't know. I, hope, I, I wish some of the more people, more of the skeptics, because these skeptics, you know, they're, they're, they're just sort of, they're just naysayers. You know, they're not, they're, they're, they, they just, um, and I guess, you know, if they're, if you're, if you're just like a, you know, a betting person, right? Like, well, I'm going to, where am I going to put my money? And, you know, I guess when people go after ambitious stuff, if on average you bet against it, you'd probably make money. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, I guess, and just like this guy said, he's like, look, you know, um, looking at all of the factors, you, ha- I think any sort of reasonable person would have to bet against it, but, you know, Elon was, he made it happen. So <laughs> good on him. Yeah, he did. You know, you know, no. and, and that was nothing compared to SpaceX. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, you, you could say, you know, okay, building, building an electric car is one level of complexity, but actually <laughs> building a space, a space company to take stuff to space. I mean, that's, wow. Yeah. You know, like I just finished reading, uh, or not, li- I guess listening to the, um, Craig Venter's book called A Life Decoded. Mm-hmm. Craig Venter is the guy who, who sequenced the human genome and, uh, you know, at Solera. And he, he basically did a, invented a lot of the, the techniques that allowed that to happen. And he's the one who, his company, uh, Synthetic Genomics, um, created the first synthetic organism, or at least they yeah. synthetic DNA and inserted it into an existing organism and all that. So, um, you know, it's it's just amazing because he was the same way. I mean, everyone was na- the entire book was just, just hilarious. It's like all these scientists and uh, foundations and stuff basically betting against him, trying to shut him down, just naysaying everything that he did. And he is just amazing. He just blew past him in the end. One, 
It's just, yeah. it's just unbelievable. It's a, it's a great book. If, if, if I would highly recommend uh, A Life Decoded. It was fantastic. And it's, it's sort of the same thing when you read about Elon Musk. And uh, I don't know, Sebastian Thrune seems like he doesn't, he doesn't get along. And uh, he isn't getting a lot of naysaying because his stuff isn't quite, he's within like Google or it's like, it's not quite as, um, as, uh, as big and as bold yet as what Elon and Inventor have done. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing watching people like that and it's just very inspiring and we've talked a lot about it but that's a great book you know, um, and it, so they, uh, I got a new book uh, <laughs> cool so, then so you know I think I talked this a while about how I started I was trying to find books to listen to on, on audible books so I could listen to when I'm working out and stuff yeah for your yeah for your uh, what is what do you do? Um, it's the eclipse, uh, the elliptical, right? Elliptical, elliptical is my personal torture device. Where <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I repent on a daily basis for all my failings by getting out, strapping myself for an hour or forty five minutes to elliptical. Yeah, see, I used to play basketball time, but I have like I keep having just one injury after another, and I have this groin injury this that won't go away. It's like a right. A, a pull groin muscle. It's like they, they take like nine months to heal sometimes. So that sucks. Can't play basketball. So I got to like suffer on the elliptical. So I need something to listen to. And I, and I, you know, there's only so many podcasts that I, that I find interesting. So after a while, I'm like looking for something else. And uh, I tried, I tried a couple of books, but I just did. I tried the Googleplex. I was like, inside the Googleplex, something about the Google story. Mm-hmm. Or that by Stephen Levy, I think. But the problem is, I know the story, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've lived it, right? I mean, it's like anyone, we've been in the industry as professionals since before Google started. So everything that's happened, it's kind of like we've sort of seen it in real time. So it's like, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. No. So it was kind of boring. It was kind of a waste. And I tried Born to Run, and that was okay. It's just that I wasn't into it. And I've discovered that. What's I, Born to Run? Well, it's about these, these ultra marathoners that run like 50, these 50 and 100 mile races. Okay. Yeah. There's this tribe in uh, uh, Mexico on this remote, I forget what they're called, and they can like, they could like run for like 200 miles or such crazy numbers. And, yeah. and I got through like a third of the way through it. And it's, 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 it's a generally a good book. I mean, people really liked it. And Sandy kept trying to even read it because she thought it was so good. But I've just noticed that I can't read something unless I'm really into it. Like it has okay. to be a thing that I'm into right now. So I've just learned to go with that. <laughs> Not just whatever is the most interesting thing on my mind. I'm just going to do that. I'll just so go basically, it's about the 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 uh, uh, synthetic synthetic uh, bio. is yeah. one one of the things that I'm really interested in right now. The other thing is electronics. I've told you I've been trying to teach myself electronics and teach Colby electronics. I'm teaching him electronics by me learning it just before he gets there. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, um, I got. This isn't really on electronics, but it's called uh, Turing's Cathedral. It's about sort of the whole background and the um, creation of sort of the digital age of the first computer and everything. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and a lot of it is about the Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton, where a lot of, I think the first computer was put together there. But I'm not there yet. I can't remember. I know they did something in, in, uh, in England around that same time, but I guess I'll hear the whole story. But that's, that's a good one. Turing's Cathedral okay. is good. It's by, um, oh, Dyson. I can't remember his first name, but it's Freeman Dyson's son. <laughs> Um, Freeman Dyson is the famous mathematical physicist. So you listen to that one right now? I'm listening to it. I've just said a few. I've just said a, I've listened to a few hours of it so far, and it's uh, so far it's good. Cool. So, um, but I don't know. I mean, do you do Audible? Do you do audio? Um, I haven't for a while, but I'm I, I guess I'm going to probably start getting back into it now that I've been doing this. Uh, I guess 25 minute run a day. So I'm probably going to start getting back into it. You're doing a 25 minute run a day? Yeah, just started. Just just for the last few days, 
don't get into it. <laughs> I'll talk to you about it next week if I stick with it. Yeah, but, uh, I'm hoping in the in the new complex because they have they have a little gym um, that I'll be able to do that there. I was actually worried about how busy that was going to be, but I'm guessing it's not going to be too busy. They've probably only got 400 people in the whole complex, and what do you think? Maybe 20 percent of people there work out regularly. Well, so, well, okay. When I was there back in, and I lived there from '94 through '97. Yeah. Yeah, did we tell people about this? Did I mention no. that I used to live there? Yeah, you did. You you said it vaguely, but no, you didn't really get into it. Three years, and it was oh, I loved living there because it was right in Old Town. Were you with Sandy? No, no, that was before. I had to move back to Chicago to get Sandy. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> she was back there. I moved back to Chicago, and then we were married, and then I dragged her back out to Pasadena. Okay. Cool story. So, um, now when I was there, people were never in the workout room. I mean, people. I think most of the people probably who work out probably belong to local gyms. There's a lot of really nice gyms there. Hmm. But, um, you know, if you're, if you are just getting into it, I mean, you're just, just, I mean, for you, it's like anything, if you could do anything for 20, 30 minutes, that's to be a big deal. Cause you're used to doing nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to go and spend a bunch of money, go to gym. I mean, for you, it's more, it's going to work better if there's something, the more convenient it is and the less hassle, the better it's going to be for you. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm, I may just do 30 minutes run on one of those, uh, Tread, treadmills. I want to do running rather than elliptical because it's like more movement for the moment. Um, and I know that, you know, conventional wisdom says do elliptical because it doesn't hurt the joints. But I do feel like because I actually don't do anything, <laughs> I probably should do something that's even even a little bit uh, more movement. Um, and then I'll, I guess I'll go for a quick swim in the pool afterwards. That'll be a real nice routine to get into. Yeah. Well, especially because there's probably not going to be anyone around. So you don't have to worry about running into anybody. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to even look at anybody. <laughs> probably, right. but you're, most of the time you probably have it to yourself, especially if you break off in the middle of the day when no one's around. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And um, you know, you could switch it up. You can do elliptical sometimes, and you can do running. I mean, you switch it up. You know, just yeah, the, sure. Most important thing is just is just momentum. Just do it in there and just do something. Even if you have, even if some days you kind of phone it in and do 20 minutes of elliptical, it's way better to do that on a day for a day and day or two than it is not to go for two days. Because if you don't go for two days and it's easy to skip a week and a week becomes a month and a month becomes never, you know, got to get the flywheel going. That's right. Just, just, just go. But so um, another link that you had, which was an interesting link was, um, the money empathy gap. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, the gist of it, I think it was an, I don't know, was it was a New Yorker economist or something? Um, the, the gist of it was this, about the study being done by this professor at Berkeley, I think. And it's sort of Paul, this- Paul Piff. Piff, right. It's sort of behavioral psychology stuff. And it's talking about when, and they've done tons of different studies, different experiments to try and um, understand this effect. But the effect is that the more money people have, the, the, the more disconnected they are from other people in a sense, and the less that they are attuned to other people's suffering, therefore the less they have less empathy, they don't yeah. care as much. And so they are talking about like how billionaires tend to get sort of totally disconnected from the suffering of the general population, you know, and they, cause mm. they, they're, cause they're immune, right? It doesn't really matter what happens to anyone else. Like they can sort of insulate themselves and, and that even on smaller scales, I mean, um, 
and they did all these kind of they were talking about they did this one study where they they had they they ranked the kind of cars people drove from 1 to 5 like five, like the the most sort of expensive cars being like these sort of uh, you know Mercedes or whatever and the least expensive like kind of junker cars from 1 through 5 and they would they were sitting behind some bushes and they would rank like how aggressive and they were in getting out to the intersection and just kind of blocking traffic and sort of just sort of getting their way and just sort of, you know, driving rudely. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was like people who had the nicer cars had the sort of self-righteous driving uh, uh, tendency. And, and they were talking a lot about how, like, you know, when people, you know, when people are, are, don't have a lot of money or people are sort of in the middle class or whatever, there's a lot more of the sense of learning to get along with other people about mm-hmm. being sort of more group oriented and community oriented and, and saying to your kids, look, it's not all about you, <laughs> right? But how wealthier families are trying to be more individualistic and, and, and try and get their kids to think of themselves as special and, you know, all these kinds of things. So what other kind of experiments did they do? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's one, there's, there's the, there's, I don't, they didn't talk about this one in the, in the, in the, in this article, but I read about it a few weeks ago. That was funny about the cookie experiment. Did I mention this to you? No, no, tell me. So they had, um, they, they, they got these, they got a bunch of these students. I think they were students or people in their twenties and they, and they they put them in groups of three and they'd put the three people in a room and they would arbitrarily choose one of them to be the leader. Okay. And for 20 to 30 minutes, the goal, they put them in a room and say, okay, you're supposed to, you're supposed to figure out, the solution to this moral or ethical problem. Okay. And, you know, and by the way, you're the, you're the leader. So you got to have to make sure that this process goes through. And they would come in about 20 minutes into the 30 minute, uh, you know, uh, session and with a plate of four cookies and in almost in every case, if not every case, the leader took the two cookies, took two cookies. Everyone could have one. There was one extra cookie. They would always take, they would always take one extra cookie without even thinking twice or offering it to the others. And then not only would they eat it, but they would act like, like just really um, enjoy the cookie. Like I, like I deserve it. It's my. <laughs> <laughs> well, something else they were saying in the article was like how, how basically if you look at gorillas, right, when, when they kind of win and they're, they're the leader or whatever, they have certain kind of posturing that they do and, like they they they're ag- aggressively postured and kind of walk around, you know, standing up tall, like I own this place kind of thing. And one of the experiments that they spoke about in that article um, that you sent me was the Monopoly experiment, where you you know two students come in and you give one student where every time they go around the board they get two hundred dollars and they get two dice to to play the game with, and you give another student one dice and they get one hundred dollars every time they go around the board, and as as the game goes on, the, the student who has the two dice and the two hundred dollars just gradually gets more and more arrogant and cocky and basically acting like like that kind of classical primate version of just kind of like standing up and saying, "Yeah, yeah I own this," and like, like I deserve leaning, it. I deserve- leaning back in their chair or something. It's all earned. I deserve it. I'm special. I love this quote by Piff where he says, "The rich are way more likely to prioritize their own self interests above interests of other people." It makes them more likely to exhibit characteristics that we would stereotypically associate with, say, assholes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, it's been my experience more often than not that the, pe- the, the people who've made a ton of money start to act like that. They're not 
as nice or as friendly or as empathetic. And, and it's just, it's been, you know, it's obviously I have a small sample size. I've met, I know or met, you know, people like that probably around a dozen or so who I know well. I don't mean people who I've like, you know, shook hands with once, people who I actually know well and or been in business with. And uh, I've known a couple other that are kind of on the borderline, you know, but, uh, but some of them, especially the ones who would happen younger, it was even worse. Um, so do you think money would change you? I hope not. I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I try, one thing I try and do is I don't take anything for granted because I've had things be, go really well for me or things work out really well and then things just went bad. And so I've been on both sides of it, so I kind of know what it's like and I know how fleeting yeah. things can be. It's like even living in California, I walk outside and it's sunny and nice. I'm like, oh God, this is so nice. <laughs> just like, yeah. I say that all the time. We'll get out because Sandy and I walk kids to, go, kids to school. And the, uh, we'll walk together with the kids to school. And I'll walk outside and I just will go, oh, this is this so nice. I say it all the time. And yeah. she's like, yeah, it's nice. But I, I don't take it for granted. I mean, I've lived in Chicago. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I suffered. I spent seven years of my adult life in Chicago freezing my arse off. And so coming out here and it, when in like most days it's sunny and nice, it's a nice breeze. It's just I just don't take it for granted. And, you know, I try and do that with as much as possible. And I think that's, that's, I think that's one of the keys is, is kind of remembering that if things are going well, it may not go well for a long time and it's probably not going well for a lot of people because no matter how bad things are for, for me, they can, there are, there are most people in the world, it's way, way worse, right? Yeah. But even That's more true. than that, but even more than that, um, it's like, you, 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 have to, you have to just think like, you know, and I, 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 I will remind myself of this all the time. It's like, you know, at any point you can get a car accident be paralyzed. Yeah. Something could something could happen to your kids. You know, people could get you could wake up the you've been you wake up the next day and you could just discover you have cancer, like that, right? Mm -hmm. Anything that you thought was a problem in your life, anything you thought wasn't going well, it compels in comparison to that. Or you said so your your kid is sick or gets some kind of terminal disease. I mean, things that are so awful you can't even think about them. Those happen to people all the time. Mm -hmm. And Indian people, and if you forget the you know four or five billion people who live in third world countries who have just you know horrible existences, live on a dollar a day, and I mean you know you just can't even compare their lives to yours. Our lives just our lives are like nirvana compared to theirs. Yeah. So you, I think you have to kind of remind yourself of that of how lucky you are and how how kind of good we have at living in a first world country and be able to spend our life you know writing computer programs, <laughs> starting companies. I mean you know give me a break. I mean it's like. It's like, it's, uh, yeah, it's Nirvana, right? I mean, oh, so I wish I had, I wish I had a, you know, a multi-million dollar company and this and that. It's like, you know what, who cares? It's just like, it's just, you know, in the big scheme of things, that, that's nothing. So I think, you know, people who kind of remember that stuff and try to remind themselves of how lucky they are tend not to like get real full of themselves. And it's like my, as my mom used to tell me, he's like, don't, don't start believing your own PR. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you really got to just, so I don't know. But um, yes, yeah, yeah, so, well, uh, well, so, so let's see if I had a couple. I had a couple of their little topics. Oh, you know, I sent an email to Kahal. They, remember Kahal? Who, oh, right, yeah. Who, who, for our listeners, that was a couple episodes ago, I interviewed Kahal about um, the biohacking. So I had two ideas. I, I, I was one of those things was at night, and I, I was kind of late at night, and I had these ideas, and I said, screw it, I'm just going to email him because I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, <laughs> so I said, Kahal, first of all, you need to write a book like um, about biohacking, like how to do it. Because 
I've been trying to you know learn this stuff, and it's a nightmare. It's all there's there's just there's no streamlined, efficient way to learn this stuff. There's like, oh, yeah. you know, read a book on, you know, biochemistry, and then read a book on molecular biology, then read a book. I mean, it's like, and each with books is like a, is a year graduate course or something. Yeah. And we're, it's like if someone said, you, you know, as I've, I know I've used this analogy a lot, but I think it works. It's like, oh, I want to build a web app. And you're like, oh, what you need to do is go get a, you know, go get a master's degree in, in um, computer science, then you can build it. I mean, it's just stupid, right? I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe doing some of the synthetic biology stuff is still an order of magnitude harder than building a website, but it still doesn't, you, you still don't need to, you know, get a graduate degree in, bi- in, in biology to do some of it based on what I'm, based on what I'm seeing. Yeah. And if somebody wrote a really good book that efficiently in a streamlined fashion really went through the, the core knowledge, the, uh, the, uh, the core foundational knowledge that you needed to have and had, and did it sort of like as a, you know, followed up by project after project, like here, here are the here are the, here are the pieces, here are the tools you need. Here's the first experiment. Here's how you do it. Bang. Here's the next. You know, and there's a great example of that I sent him an email, a, a link to the book because you know I said I've been learning electronics. There's a really good book called um, uh, Make Electronics. You know the Maker Fair? Have you heard of the Maker Fair? No, I haven't. And Make Magazine. I think Make Magazine puts on the Maker Fair. Well, Make Magazine is like for do it all kind of cool do it yourself stuff like robots and electronics and things. And they have a series of books. One of them is called is their their electronics book is called Make Colon Electronics, and they have like make like you know Arduino robots and stuff. So and it's I'm, like the Hello World, you know, gets you to Hello World really quickly kind of thing. Yeah, it'd be like you know, it'd be like a really good book if you if you didn't know how to write code. So right, you're going to build your first iPhone app, and they're going to have like you're going to have like five or six, or six different iPhone apps, and we're going to step you through the process of Objective C and Cocoa, and we start out with loops and variables, and we get into like a Hello World, and we draw you know, there's little graphics, and by the end you have a pretty cool iPhone app you created. Hmm. And it's that equivalent of like electronics. And I'm like, you need to do this <laughs> for, uh, for biohacking, right? Make biohacking because he's trying to start a company that has a, you know, not much of a market yet. So you need to kind of create the market. Well, if you, if you, if you had a book like this, it would make it much easier for people like myself who are interested in stuff to actually get really engaged with it, actually do something, Right. Mm. And the second idea I had, and I said, okay, and the next idea is that you should, you should teach a, 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 a Udacity course. Oh, nice. I, I, I kind of knew, as soon as you said, you should teach, I, like, I thought, okay, he's going to say Udacity. Yeah. I said, well, you know, because first of all, teach Udacity course, and then you can use your notes and problem sets as the framework for the book. Mm. That's a very good idea. Nice, nice. So even if, even if he only... Because 160,000 people signed up for their artificial intelligence course. So even if it's only like a 10% of that signed up for synthetic biology, 10%, 16,000 people, that still would be expanding his market significantly. <laughs> even if only like, say, you know, a three or 4,000 people complete it. You have three or 4,000 people who would be ready customers for Globiotics. That'd be amazing. Right? Yeah, very nice. Back from him. He's, he hasn't responded to me. I sent it to him. I go, <laughs> <laughs> why is Jason sending me these crazy... <laughs> Else, but I was like, I, I said, look, I apologize for the unsolicited advice, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I just think it would, it would, I think ultimately it would help send, put him at the center of the market. It would put your startup, it would put Globiotics at the center of this market. It could make you feel bad to send unsolicited advice and not get a response to it. I, I sent, um, there's this, there, there was this thing called Mindspace. Um, they, and they did a website, basically a medit- meditation website. And so 
what they'll what they'll give you is they'll give you like an uh, an MP3 per day to to send you through a meditation process, and they were charging um, at the time something like I don't know twenty five dollars per month or something like that for this, and it's it's a consumer based thing. So I sent them an email that just you know politely said, look, I think twenty five bucks is is that that price point doesn't feel right for a consumer uh, you know app. But and by the way, I absolutely love what you're doing. I think it's awesome. But it should, you know, you should consider moving it down to more typical kind of price points for consumer um, subscription apps, which are like, I don't know, $5 or nine ninety nine or something like that. Just never heard back from them. And it just, it just kind of makes you feel like, oh, well, you know, I, I spent 20 minutes writing out this long email, looking through your system and giving you advice and you couldn't, couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, first of all, that's why I tend to, I try and respond. I, I always respond to emails from people especially like listeners and stuff i mean even if it's or even people who just email me about blog posts i've written and then that's why i try and respond to every comment because it's sort of annoying when nobody responds <laughs> you know right but even if it's even well, but if, com- the comments are slightly different like I'll, i always respond to an email but a comment is different unless a comment is like actually said to you you probably don't need to respond i mean typically typically speaking with comments people are speaking to the community rather than an individual yeah, I don't know. I but I, I don't know. I guess I, I use I feel like they deserve like some kind of acknowledgement or something. But anyway, I you know the way I feel about it is I know he got it, and mm-hmm. I want to throw it out there. I just like to see it happen. I mean, it's I would take the course and I would buy the book. <laughs> I tried <laughs> to make a good case why I think ultimately it would be. I mean, it's self-serving to an extent because I'd like to take the course and I'd like to yeah. buy the book. <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Ultimately, I think it would greatly enhance the chances that his company and this market will succeed in the short term. Because somebody needs to educate the customer base. The customer base doesn't exist yet. It barely exists. And there's a lot of people I've seen, because I subscribe to that emailing list that he's on called the Do-It-Yourself Bio, DIY Bio. Yeah. And it's just, and, and it's, there's, there's, there's a kind of a combination between people who are like me, who are, you know, computer you know, software developers and other type of just technical people who are interested in it but don't have a background in it. And there are a combination of people who are, you know, who have advanced degrees in, in biochemistry and molecular biology. And people are kind of flailing around trying to, well, where can I get primers and where do I get uh, plasma? Yeah, I can imagine question yeah, after question of how do I do this? How do I do that? There's no consolidated place. It's, you know, a book that says, look, here's, here's your ideal first experiment. Here's the equipment you need. Here's how you do it. Here's some pictures of what it's going to look like. This is, you know, I mean, and here's the basic background theory of why it works that way and go on to the next one. That's what that needs to exist. Anyway, if he, you know, my guess is he probably will respond when he gets around to it. But if he doesn't, it's, you know, it's, I'm going to get my feelings hurt. I mean, it kind of reminds me of what James Altucher, you remember we had James Altucher on a while ago and he was talking yeah. about how he would get up and every day he would write emails to all these kind of random people and say, I, here's five ideas for you. <laughs> and one of them was for, uh, for, um, Oh, God, for his last name, Victor Niederhofer, who is a big hedge fund manager. Yeah. And he said, here are 10 trading strategies you guys should look into or things. And he ended up hiring yeah. James. And then it was, um, oh, God, what was the guy from Mad Money? Um, I'm blanking it. Kramer, James Kramer. He emailed James Kramer and said, here's some advice, things that you should do. And James Kramer says, why don't you do them? And I'm going to hire you to write. You know, I think he told James Kramer to write about them on thestreet.com. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know what, why don't you write about them? Come in and have you write for the street or something. Awesome. And so, you know, but he, but he, he uses sort of an exercise, you know, but he would just go and help people. Like, I'm just going to go out and help these people. And I don't think he necessarily was assuming that he would get responses or much less that people would ask them, would want to hire him or, 
you know, partner with him or do something with him. He would just go out there and just give out his advice for free and, you know, whatever. And it just it was just sort of an exercise for him. And it wasn't like I was doing it for purpose. I just I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, this is what he needs to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I'm just going to email him, right? Whatever. Yeah. You know, he's a nice guy. I mean, you know, I mean. I, did we have James Holster on twice so far? We did. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. We need to get him back on, I think. So um, I, I got, okay, well, yeah. listen, this should be the last one because we have done, we've done our time. We've done our time. Yeah. Well, I, I, have, I have two quick ones. Two Go quick. on. I have an idea for a TV show. <laughs> oh, God. Not another one. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm just, no. I'm just looking forward to the day when you're going to be ripped off again. Yeah, well, I'm just out there because, you know, whatever. It's just, I'll throw it out there. But, um, so Sandy and I were, we were sitting on eating dinner and, uh, and she was flipping through, there was some commercial for like, uh, one of these other sort of X factor American idol type of things. Mm-hmm. And she's like, God, I'm, she's like, I'm so sick of these, of these reality shows of discovering talent. And I said, well, how about a show that rediscovers talent? Call it resurrection, <laughs> rediscovering <laughs> forgotten talent. <laughs> so, that's a great idea. That is a good idea. Have like, but I'm sure that's been done. Have like Millie Vanilli back on there, and like have all these all these discarded singers and actors, people from the seventies, eighties, and nineties, or wherever. People who had a had a had a brief moment in the sun, did something interesting, and then were just you know gone. So yeah. basically, you you do it in the same format as American Idol. You pitch them against each other. They have to perform. Like, and who's still really good? Who's still really got it? Kind of thing. Who might have? I mean, it would just be interesting. Like, oh, dude, I remember that guy from Family Ties, <laughs> Skippy, you know, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, or something, right? I mean, it would be hilarious to see. Well, these what are they going to do? Well, I mean, the singers could sing, but maybe you could do different. Maybe you could do. Um, you could do a little different format. You know, maybe you could do like they could try out. They could actually like be reading for parts, or you could do like I, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm sure you could come up with some way of doing it. But you know, I think it would be more entertaining to see people trying to get their second shot at, uh, at a career, you know, people who you, who you've seen in different contexts and you've seen a long time, you know, it would be, yeah. it would be better than like a, whatever happened to so-and-so would be like, well, let's see if they're getting another shot. I think that's a nice idea. Yeah. Read it. It's called resurrection, rediscovering forgotten talent. That's my, <laughs> all right. That's my idea. <laughs> so I have, um, I have, uh, I have two small ones. I got to take a couple small ones here. I got, I got to get these out because otherwise they're just going to... They're going to they're linger. They're going to linger. I'm going to have to bring them next week. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, just an update on how I've been uh, teaching Colby electronics and stuff. Okay. You remember how I was also trying to teach him... I, I told you I was teaching him electronics and I was also going to teach him... Uh, Can I guess? Can I make a guess? Well, I just told you. Matt, oh. What else were we going to say? You're paying him. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. So, well, here's <laughs> what I did. Well, here's what I did. Yeah. So I, I, I was thinking really hard about it because I, I kind of wanted to do an experiment with seeing like, you know, because I, I had him, he, he played the Dragon Box game, which is that little game that you can learn algebra on. Remember yeah. we talked about that? And that, that teaches kids how to manipulate symbols, sort of like the first step in manipulating an equation, moving symbols around, simplifying. But not, um, it wasn't overly sophisticated and i was like i wonder seeing as that how colby could master that i wonder if i could teach him more like really teach him algebra mm-hmm. and it's different from from circuits and electronics i could say hey you know colby will come to me and say hey dad can we can we build some circuits right so we sit down with the breadboard and you know build something 
you know. Yeah, which is you can't really come up and say, "Can we do some algebraic equations?" Because he doesn't want to do it, right? He's right. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, I was a math major when I didn't, I didn't think any of that stuff was interesting. I didn't like doing, I didn't even like even when I was in high school. I didn't like doing, you know, my pre-calculus homework. It was boring, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know. So I said, you know, I'm gonna do it just like how I did it with the reading, the sight words I co- a year or two ago. Remember how I, I, so for people who aren't on the show, so who, who didn't listen back then is, you know, Colby was in first grade and they have sight words, words that are sort of, that you need to know that have come up, they're very common. And you, you kind of, it's kind of like, you know, um, uh, uh, what, uh, what's this? The guy does a uh, bingo card creator. Oh, Patrick McKenzie. Patrick McKenzie, yeah. Patrick McKenzie is a bingo card creator. It's about sight words, the Dolce sight words. So I made a bunch of sight words from first grade all through sixth grade. I took all, and, and we blew through, not only did he get up through third grade and, and, and sight words, which is what, which is as, as advanced they, that they wanted them to get in first grade, I took them all the way up through sixth grade within like mm-hmm. a month. And I, all I did is I said, well, you know, Colby, we'll do 100 words a week. And if you get all the words at the end of the week, if you, take, if you memorize them by the end of the week, we'll go get ice cream. Mm-hmm. No problem. Just ice cream. Yeah, that was it. That's all it took. Yeah, sweet. And so, but now I said, all right, well, I've gotten the bad habit of taking him to get ice cream every weekend anyway. <laughs> so that really wasn't going to work this time. Right. We have a, we have sort of a, 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 a sort of a, a thing we'd every routine though on Saturday or Sunday afternoons. I'll take them all, we'll get ice cream and go to the park. So I'm like, I can't really use that on him, can I? <laughs> He's going to say, yeah, no thanks. We're going anyway. So I said, how about, I said, Colby, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a dollar every time we do a session so and a session will be about 10 minutes or so 10 15 minutes and so you know as much as you, as much as you want to do and um i said let's just do one session right now and he was sort of like okay and you know and i we were doing some some of the, we were i was kind of reinforcing some of the algebra stuff that they do in dragon box and then i was teaching him exponents like what does the third mean or you know if you had two to the power of four what does that equal that kind of stuff yeah and so i taught him about exponents he didn't know what he, and he's a second grade right he didn't know what ex, he never hasn't learned what exponents are and um and so i was going through it and then later in the day he kept coming he's like dad can we do another session dad can we do another session <laughs> He wants to get a, a new Skylander, which is this Wii video game. They have these little figurines that become part of the game. Oh, nice. It's like five bucks, right? So <laughs> he just like, all right, Dad, let's do another session. <laughs> you got well, he's got me? a great work ethic, if nothing else. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, they spend most of their days, you know, during the summer watching TV, playing video games, building Legos. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm, you got a whip over him and like for an hour and a half, I'm like, do algebra. <laughs> Did you hear anything back from those people who he emailed? They were going to build the spaceship for him. You know, I you know I haven't. I'm going to tell Sandy to contact him, to contact them, and say if 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 uh, if they still want to do it or, or not. I mean, it might be one of those things where they thought it was a great idea and then they just realized they were too busy. You know, right? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'd like to. It'd be cool. Um, I don't think she ever followed up on it. I mean, maybe I have to follow up on it because they would have to do some... that sooner rather than later. Because otherwise, he'll you know you lose the cute factor the older the kids get, right? Yeah, the kid becomes 15. I mean, I think we got a, I mean, he's only seven, right? So yeah. I think we got a while before that. The half-life on that's pretty long. Um, <laughs> yeah, which reminds me, I guess that's an, uh, I, um, I get, yeah, I get, I think that actually relates to the next topic I was going to bring up, which, um, so did I, I didn't mention that I did an open office hours at, at the Koloff, did I? Yes, you did. I did. I mentioned that. Did I mention you that did, I had done it? You mentioned yeah. that you had done it, yeah. 
Oh, okay. All right. Well, sorry, I did that. So, one of the things I, one of the conversations I had with um, Pat Maddox, who um, I did, I did the, uh, the office hours with, was the fact that he he'd always like he'd get on a project for like a month and then he just kind of burn out on it and didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, I was like, well, you need to find something that has like an enthusiasm half life long enough to it's making money before <laughs> yeah. you lose interest, <laughs> right? Because if your enthusiasm half life is three weeks, that's not going to be good enough because you're not going to be making enough money. But if if your enthusiasm half life for an idea is like six months to a year, it might be making enough money by that time that the money itself will keep you interested. Yeah. He liked that idea. He's like, you should write a blog post on the enthusiasm. Well, that's the, yeah, the, that's nice. I like it, and that's something that we're sort of faced with with any food. <laughs> right. Well, well, your enthusiasm half life. You, you, yeah, right. Get, you because know, initially the novelty of the idea, start breaking out a new project. The idea of of like you know what what's possible, all that stuff gets you really fired up, and. You know, but eventually that dies, and, and most most things it, it kind of runs out for after a while. I mean, sometimes you you can reignite it, but it, it ebbs and flows, right? You know, whether it's a few weeks or a few months, or maybe if you have a if it's something that's really exciting to you, you know, you might go a year. But if you're not making any money at it after a certain point, you just start to kind of other things become more interesting. It's not like you become un, as uninterested necessarily, but other things become more interesting. Yeah. So it's just relative, you know. Um, so I don't know. So that that's enthusiasm half life. I thought that's a uh that's not a uh, bad concept. I, I think like it. Kind of, it's a good meme. It's like a it's it's it could take off like like surface area. Yeah, maybe I'll write uh maybe I'll write a blog post about it. I don't know, but I keep talking about writing blog posts. So in my my sort of cheat for not writing a blog post is just to mention it in the show. <laughs> <laughs> if people think it's interesting enough, maybe I'll write something about it. Um Oh yeah, I thought I had something else. Uh, oh, we need to do um, we need to do a show with the wives. Oh yeah, we to- we totally do. We got someone sent an email about that. Uh, do you have their name to hand? I don't. No, in fact, okay. I didn't. It was actually it came it was like a text. It was came from like a, a like a phone oh, number. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It came from a text message, didn't it? Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, totally. Georgie's Georgie's totally up for it now that she's done the videos for Plugio. She's like, "Yep, I want to do it." You know, because she met Sandy last week when you guys stopped in briefly. Did you think yeah. that? The comfort level? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they didn't meet for long. They met for like half a second, but that's, that's enough. That's enough. I mean, she's ready. Let's do it. Let's go. You had mentioned to me initially that she wasn't super comfortable or, you know, maybe we should all meet first or that kind of stuff. Do you think she, so she's over all those? That sort yeah, of- I think it'd be fine now. Um, the question is, is just from an audio point of view, would we do it all together in a room or would we do it uh, online? We got to do it online because it's, it's too, it's too, we, you know, with three kids when we can't keep them, we can't, keep the kids quiet. Okay. And, and it costs a fortune and a babysitter for like, you know, just for like to do that for two or three hours. So it's sure. much better if we just do it online. If okay. Um, I can set her up with a headset. Yeah. It'd be much easier logistically to do that. So, um, I mean, even to be honest, you know, what would be the best way to do it mm-hmm. would be, um, do you have a, you have a mic on your MacBook? Do you on your Mac? Mm hmm. Yeah, so basically the MacBook Pro mic will be perfectly fine for me and Georgie to be on one side, and then you use your MacBook Pro on the other side, and that'll pick up all four of us. That'll be, that'd be fine. Really? Why? I mean, that, I think it's, that's, that sounds like it's going to be uh, something like speakerphone. Well, I don't think so. It shouldn't, it shouldn't sound too bad. I mean, we've, we've had a lot of people who've sounded pretty good on the MacBook Pro's mic. So Maybe I think... Test with that. If it doesn't... Okay, we'll, we'll test that, and we'll, and we'll test it the other way, and we'll do it whichever. Because... Sure. Um, 
Georgie, you guys have more than one computer, right? Uh, yes, we do. But her other computer's really bad. Well, I mean, it can, really is, it, is it a Windows machine or, an, or a Mac? Windows, yeah. Well, then you could just Win- put Windows that's like barely working. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I'm sure that I can set it up for, for both of us to be uh, using this MacBook Pro and it was, the sound quality would be fine. It's just about putting you know cushions on the walls or something like that. Right. It's only about the way the sound bounces that's the problem. Right, right, right. Okay. Very cool. Cool. Well, I guess I, I, every other thing I would have brought up is long. So, oh, the only thing I was going to mention you should look into is I said there was an article on TechDirt called Could, Could Lewis C.K. Make His TV Show Using the Direct-to-Fan Model? Which reminds me of your idea. You talked about, like, fan crowdsourcing uh, or fan sourcing. Crowdfunding, like fan funding. Fan funding canceled TV shows. Which makes sense. Like, I mean, these are canceled TV shows normally going to have like, it, they're looking for 10 million viewers, but they've got 6 million viewers or something like that. And because they're short 4 million viewers, they're like, oh, it's not worth it to us. But there's like, there's like 4 million people. You could easily get 100,000 of those to pay 100 bucks, which gives you, you know, 10 million straight away. Yeah, exactly. So the, you know, they're talking about the guy speculating that Louis C.K. because of the success he had with selling his, uh, I guess, uh, one of his shows and pre-selling his tour tickets and stuff, that eventually he could probably not even do a show through like FX, which is the I think the the state the channel that you know that does his show that puts on Louis. Yeah, and that he could just go straight to defense. And I was like, yeah, I think that's ultimately possible. Oh, um, totally. Especially for people like. Like him, maybe not for maybe not for most shows, but but I, I, I like your idea. I mean, I, I think you'll see that. I don't know if it'll become a standard um, process, but what you might do is you the producers of these shows, like they're like say Stargate Universe, which was canceled, which we liked. This the producers of Stargate could could then take it to the fans and say, well, if you if we can raise this much money on Kickstarter or something like Kickstarter, then we'll do another show. And yeah, it just seems like a no brainer in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And especially, I think if the producers did it, because producers already know how to do this stuff, right? They know how to make deals with the studios and and networks and get stuff on, so they can go and they could even talk to like something, you know, they could choose like the Sci-Fi Channel or FX or something, and say, well, if we can raise X million and we put that in for our side as development budget, and then you guys put the rest and we put it on, you know, so that would be possible. I thought it would be really cool. Anyway, I just thought that I'd give a that deserved a tip of the hat to you for. uh, Bringing up that oh, I oh thanks very kindly very little kind. tip of the hat <laughs> a tip of the hat to be sure <laughs> <laughs> that's right um, and the other thing we need to talk about well I guess we'll talk about this online we need to figure out what we're going to do for our two hundredth show because it's coming up quick yeah I I wish there was a way we could get Elon Musk on here <laughs> does that, does anyone have any kind of path to Elon Musk if you do please tell him he needs to be on texting two hundred. We need like the bat phone. Like, does Elon Musk have like a bat, bat phone? I don't know. <laughs> the commissioner calls him up directly. You know? Yeah. We so we need we need to call. Yeah. Someone you know if we can't get Elon Musk, I don't know how we could. I mean, I guess I could just try and send. I, could I send Elon at SpaceX.com? Send an email. Yeah, probably. I mean, why not? I'll give I mean, it. A he's at Tesla. He's a Tesla as well. It's like e- e- emailing the president or something. <laughs> Oh I mean, God. I just, what? I don't know what else would be worthy of texting 200. I mean, apart from that, then the next best thing would be maybe make it a wife's show or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, we could do a retrospective or have a bunch of pads. I don't know. We'll do something. We got to do something cool. Yeah. Somebody was asking about it and I was like, you know, we haven't really sorted it out. 
but uh yeah all right man well um i'll uh i think that's it for the show right yeah cool that's a wrap we're out <laughs>